0: Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Sabine Howard from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. Today we'll be talking to Roger Quinn, who is the head of the Biologically Inspired Robotics Lab, at Case Western Reserve University in the U.S. From the most complex to the simplest robots, whether they evolve on ground or in the air, his robots all have something to take from and something to give to the understanding of insect locomotion. Don't know what a WEG is? Let's wait and find out. Hi, Roger. Welcome to Talking Robots.
1: Hello. um, It's nice to talk to you.
0: In earlier projects, more than taking inspiration from biology to design your robots, you really concentrated on imitating it, so that in the end your robots resembled the actual ants and cockroaches that, they were, that served as a model. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of the insect-like robots that you created?
1: Yes, uh, we've uh, developed, if you go back, it's almost 20 years now, we developed a robot we called Robot One. We were very imaginative about our robot names. Uh, there's Robot 1, Robot 2, Robot 3, and so on. Uh, anyway, Robot 1 uh, was, um, didn't look much like an insect. The only thing the insect like about the appearance was the fact it had six legs. What was interesting about it was the uh, insect-inspired uh, control system for it. Um, robot 2, um, that looked a bit more like an insect. It had... Um, legs shaped more like insects and the degrees of freedom more like insects and it moved even more like an insect as well um robot three is the first one we designed actually based on a particular insect though um robot three was much like the uh it was actually designed based on cockroach and uh robots four and five are also based on cockroach the designs there's also a cricket robot which is um which is designed based on a cricket it's uh just three inches long. It was the first one we made. It's actually um, small. Um, it's not as small as the animal, but um, much smaller than uh, the other robots. The other robots we'd scaled up just for convenience of, of building them with the technologies available. And then there's uh, there's another robot called uh, the Bill Ant, a biologically uh, inspired legged locomotion ant. Um, it's also um, scaled up a lot from, from the animal. It's uh, about a... Um, a third of a meter long, or actually a little less than that, probably. Um, it's uh, anyway, it has six legs. It's uh, also in, it's based, well, inspired by by ants, and it has uh, mandibles. In fact, um, so those are the uh, those are the the robots we've made, which are very similar to, uh, well, more similar to insects than than our other robots.
0: From these more realistic imitations of biology, you went to more abstract forms of locomotion with the Wegg series. What is a Wegg?
1: Okay. Um, well, uh, we coined the term uh, Wegg's, um, and originally, of course, we were thinking along the lines of uh, um, wheel legs. That uh, we a wheel leg is something that rolls like a wheel. But can climb like a leg. Um, and later we, co- we, we we then coined the term WEGS. And WEGS actually describes the, uh, the robots that use the wheel legs. Uh, so, anyway, a wheel leg, think of it as a multi spoked appendage. So, instead of a wheel uh, with a rim, uh, okay, think of a spoked wheel. You take away the rim and you just have spokes. So, that's a wheel leg. And you can have. Um, Three spokes, four spokes, five spokes, however many spokes that uh, you wish to use. Um, And that's a wheel leg. And what's good about the wheel leg is that uh, you can use one motor to drive. Say you put together a a robot with six wheel legs. And you can have them move in a tripod gate by using just one motor. So you can have one motor connected with sprocks and chains to all six uh, of of its wheel legs. And then you could uh, phase just by adjusting um, the, uh, um, the the phase of, of each wheel leg ahead of time in the design such that it moves in a tripod gate. So that means that the front left, the middle right, and the left rear legs all move together. So they're all in the stance at the same time. And they alternate with the uh, right front uh, left middle and uh, right rear, and uh, so we have an alternating tripod gait, which is the way cockroaches and others and insects typically move is in this this, this alternating tripod gait. So you, using these six wheel legs and one just one motor, um, you can get this alternating tripod gait and you put this thing together. If you do it right, you immediately have probably the fastest uh, legged robot um, that anyone's ever made.
0: What is the advantage of this type of system with respect to a system which would only have wheels or legs?
1: Yeah, if you, uh, if you take one of our Wags vehicles and put wheels on it, um, it's great, on, it's better, of course, on smooth terrain. If you're going to run in smooth terrain, you should use wheels. They're wonderful. Um, but if you want to climb stairs, the wheels aren't so good. Um, if you, you, you can uh, climb stairs with wheels, um, if you make the wheels soft or you have uh, knobby-type tires and a lot of friction. But the thing is, you're using friction, whereas if you use a wheel leg or a regular leg, you're using normal force instead of friction to uh, get the leverage you need to climb the stairs. So it's it's definitely superior for climbing or on any irregular terrain compared to a wheel. Um, now... The, uh what's good about WEGS compared to other legged vehicles is the power to weight is fantastic uh, of the drive system because we just have the one propulsion motor.
0: What other types of WEGS exist and what are they used for?
1: Okay, so um, we have, um, we've developed a number of WEGS robots now. Um, the very first one we developed, we called it WEGS1, uh, that uh, didn't have a body joint; it was plastic, and it was just to prove the concept. We designed, we designed WEGS, and um, and built it all in about uh, six months. The, the first one. I should point out that besides using the uh, the cockroach as inspiration, there was an, another robot out there. Actually, a, a couple of robots out there that uh, had you know before WEGS. One was called uh, uh, Prolero, but we didn't even see Prolero before we. Uh, um, developed WEGS, but another robot that we did know about was called REX, that's R-H-E-X. That robot um, uses uh, six motors instead of one, but it's, uh, it uses a tripod gate, and it uses spoke legs, but they're not wheel legs, really, they're just one spoke. So each, each leg has, yeah, okay, so each motor, okay, let's start over, each leg has, is driven by a motor. So uh, there's six motors, six legs. And all that motor does is spin that spoke around in a circle. And what they did was, this is uh, done by Martin Buehler at McGill, who's now at Boston Dynamics. Um, it's, it's a very clever thing because the, the, uh, because he's got control of all six legs individually, he can go through a slow stance then a rapid swing, and a slow stance and a rapid swing. And by doing that, he can uh, time the different legs uh, different, well, it can try him the six legs differently, so we can get different gates. So we can set up the tripod gate or whatever, even though he's only got one spoke. Um, so we saw that, and we thought, well, um, maybe we could do better just by going down to one propulsion motor. So uh, that's where we came up with the idea of the wheel leg. Although, admittedly, the, the wheel leg's been around. It's, it's an ancient idea, actually. But the, uh, uh, what makes it different is that we did the wheel leg along with a torsional device, and all the other biologically inspired uh, principle, uh, mechanisms to come up with something that adapts its gate as well as running the tripod gate. So, anyway, there's, there's a history to this thing. Um, and if you compare Rex to WEGS, there are, um, each one has its own um, uh, strengths and weaknesses, I guess. WEGS has better power to weight because of the one motor. Uh, Rex has uh, the capability of uh, changing its gates uh, with a control system where WEGS doesn't need the control system. So you could either look at as a positive or a negative uh, because the WEGS is controlled through its mechanics. So anyway, if you like doing controls, Rex would be uh, superior. Um, as far as them running around out in the terrain, um, in, in natural terrain, we, we actually took a robot out um, called AgriWegs because it's meant for agricultural applications. Um, we took a, this robot out into uh, a, an orange orchard, and the idea was uh, possibly using it uh, for pest control. It, it's kind of amusing—we're we using a cockroach-inspired robot for pest control. So anyway, um, we take we took this robot out into an orange orchard. It only had a 20-watt motor, which it was way it was really underpowered. It was meant as a laboratory robot. But we took it out in Orange, Georgia, just to see what would happen. And you'd think that when you're spinning legs around in a circle like this, if you get a um, a stick stuck into the spokes, you could just imagine that it's going to jam the jam the spokes, especially with a 20 watt motor. It's going to jam the spokes. And it's going to stall the robot. It's not going to be able to go anywhere. So th- that's the kind of thing that might have happened. But as it turns out, that doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because the uh those torsional springs also don't allow the uh the, um because of the torsional springs the sticks don't get stuck. So we have two things happening. The sticks get broken by the spokes or the sticks fall out. The big the the bigger sticks fall out. Because of the torsional devices the legs can give and then the legs the uh the the uh sticks actually work their way out of the system. So anyway, this this little underpowered robot ran all over this orange orchard. It was amazing. Since then, we took WEGS two out to uh, uh, New Mexico. I'm sorry, outside of Las Vegas, uh, to a uh, urban search uh, so to a search and rescue um, facility. Um, it's meant it, there's a rubble pile, and and I was amazed at how good a job it did at running around in this rubble pile. We're talking big, nasty uh, uh, chunks of concrete bigger than it and smaller than it, and you'd think that those chunks of concrete would get stuck in its spokes and and uh, it, it would get stalled again. But no, that doesn't happen because of the, again, torsional devices. And you'd think it would get hung up on these big rocks. You know, you have these big rocks that would get underneath it, and it would get hung up there, and it would get stalled out. Well, because of the body joint, it doesn't have to get stalled out. You can actually keep moving. Um, and this is all done with uh, remote control, so we can talk about autonomy later. But other other things we've done with WAGs, um, we have something we call um, a DAGZi WAGs, and and anyway, it's uh, it's meant for for autonomous research. So uh, there's another thing called amphibious WAGs that we're uh, developing now, and then there's mini WAGs. Uh, mini WAGs are really small, um, say eight nine centimeters long, and they only have four wheeled legs instead of six. Um, and some of the things we've done with those, they they can run around outdoors uh, through the through uh, you know lawns and and uh, uh, they're remarkably robust to mechanical damage and and they run around on things uh, they can run over things that are bigger than they are they can run very quickly in terms of bylinks lengths per second and we're now using uh, mini wags for climbing as it turns out that uh, if you look at the way well there are people looking at the way animals climb. Um, there's Keller Autumn that looks at uh, geckos. Um, geckos are remarkable creatures. Um, and then there's uh, insects climb walls very nicely also. And there's a, a Stanislav Gorb at uh, Max Planck Institute that looks at uh, the way insects climb. And, of course, as it turns out, biological principles hold, whether it's a gecko or an insect, the same principles are, are, are at work. Um, so we took actually a material that Stas Gorb had constructed. At, at a, um, there, there's, a, there's a German company that Stas Gorb is working with, and they developed uh, this material. And it's using the, one of the biological principles is that uh, um, hairy feet work really well for climbing. You can either use smooth feet like cockroaches use, or you can use hairy feet like beetles, geckos, and flies and, and various other creatures use. The hairy feet are actually um, uh, pretty amazing uh the it turns out the finer the hair is the better and the more the more finer hair is the better so anyway they developed this uh south Scorpion and in uh, this company developed this uh material that has uh this uh microstructured surface so it's like the hairy surface and we saw that and we know Stas, and we thought well wow, many ways could probably climb with that and then we Another biological principle you'll find is uh, the way, it, whether it's a gecko or an insect, they put their foot on, they want to place the entire foot all at once, if possible, and then move through stance, and then when it's time to, to pull the foot off, they don't just pull it off, they peel it off. So uh, mini-wags, um, we, we can do the same thing. So it can place its entire foot on the surface and then go through stance and then peel its foot off. So uh, what Stas Gorb suggested was uh, using scotch tape, uh, just using a, you know, a, the transparent uh, office tape um, at first, and we got that working. And once we got that working, then Stas Gorb was so excited about it, he came over and brought the material with him, and uh, this, this insect-inspired hairy material. So it's a dry adhesive. And we uh, in one week, we got that walking up glass. So it was the first robot ever to walk up... Um, Glass using a dry adhesive, Um, and it's just it's mini wags. It's just uh, four wheel legs, and uh, the material is what makes up the foot, so it can place its foot on there, and they go through the stance, and then peeled up slowly, and uh, then go on to place the next foot. So, um, other things we've done um, in terms of wags, we're doing uh, we're working with NASA on um, what we're calling lunar wags. It has to do with uh, um, science missions as well as mining uh, of uh, the lunar regolith to, to make oxygen for, uh, um, for astronauts. So, anyway, those are a number of things we're, we're working on uh, that use WEGS.
0: Let's talk about the future now. What do you see as the most promising areas of research in biologically inspired robotics for the next 20 years?
1: Uh, wow. Uh, that's a tough question. Um, clearly, um, we still have a long way to go in locomotion. Um, uh, I- I'm interested in locomotion, so that's the first thing I think of. Um, there's still a long way to go in locomotion. Uh, no robot it has the uh, agility of, um, of its counterpart uh, animal model. Um, and the other thing is uh, autonomy, and, and of course they go hand in hand. What's the point of having mobility without autonomy? Um, you, uh, you know, for example, we we have these WEGS robots that run around, and they're 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 fantastically fast. They can run over our stairs and climb, you know, climb things. And but you have to do it with a uh, person in the loop, you know, doing the driving. So. Um, Our early work on this has been uh, we have an antenna on a WEGS-2 robot so it can actually climb a a shelf or tunnel underneath it and so it can make the the autonomous decision to either climb a shelf or go underneath it. And it's autonomous decisions made based on um, uh, what's known as the way cockroaches make the decision. Um, They have two antenna. So if they have two antenna on top of the shelf they climb the shelf, if they have two antenna underneath the shelf, They go underneath the shelf. If they have a split decision where there's one above and one below, um, well, then they have to make a decision which way they want to go. Um, And cockroaches typically go uh, tunnel just because the tunnel's darker. Uh, Now, if you do the experiment in the dark, then it seems to be less clear. It seems like it's maybe 50% uh, tunnel versus shelf. But anyway... Uh, we've had a WEGS2 robot do that. We've also had a WEGS2 robot run around um, in, a, in a room with various obstacles, and it, could, it can uh, run around uh, following, the, following the wall and dodging obstacles and climbing over obstacles. And this is using ultrasonic sensors uh, in, a, in a bat-inspired configuration uh, that Timmy C. Horayuchi actually told us about. He's, he's at Maryland. He told us about this, uh, the way bats do things, and... Um, that got us thinking about using ultrasonic sensors and doing it differently the way, the way we'd done it before. So anyway, we now have um, wegs 2 robots that are somewhat autonomous. But the thing is, that's nothing compared to what you really need for uh, to, to do a real mission. You, you need much better. You need better sensors. You need to do uh, better perception and recognition, and you need to uh, uh, then make the, the, the appropriate decisions. So anyway, I look at uh, autonomy as a huge thing uh, in the future. Um, DARPA has this urban challenge going on now where um, they basically have this race planned in some place in, in the southwest U.S. in November. And they, basically, they pretty much um, put out the rules and 90 teams uh, have uh, uh, decided they wanted to do this. And most of those teams had to do it all on their own expense And it's all about autonomy. It's making a car, a full-size car, autonomous enough to drive around in a city. And that's pretty exciting. So it got a lot of people excited about it. Those 90 are now down to 53 uh, based on the weeding out process uh, of um, those various milestones you have to do. We're one of those 53 uh, teams at Case Western. Um, And uh, through there's going to be a site visit where we have to show things. And... um, then will be chosen, hopefully, for the, the national event in November. And it, it's just really exciting, the idea of um, vehicles, you know, cars, full-size cars, you're being completely autonomous and making their own decisions. For example, in an intersection, you know, if you have a four-way stop at, at an intersection and there are other vehicles, you know, how do you make – you have to sense what the other vehicles are doing, you know, when did they get there, and uh, is it your turn to go or not? Um, and it doesn't mean, you know, the other vehicles may not even follow the rules. And so you have to drive defensively. And it's, uh, um, I think, anyway, at the moment, I, I find it extremely exciting. As it turns out, you can look at cockroaches for this as well. Um, you know, cockroaches, of course, they're animals. They're autonomous. Um, as it turns out, even though they have these uh, the brains like the size of the head of a pin, uh, um, they still are are better Autonomous vehicles and anything anyone 's ever made, um, so there's something going on there that we need to understand and mean it would really help if we could understand and then we could use and how and there, another big question is how do they take that information uh, from their brain you know they, they have they have these wonderful sensors antenna and, and eyes and and uh, various other uh, sensors to sensor environment they take that information in and they somehow figure out what it means to them, what's important for them, and then they make decisions in these little tiny brains, and then they send commands down to the local control system that then carries out the actions. And uh, very little is known about how those descending commands do this, uh, actually affect the local control system. One possibility is that you have one local control system that does Running, another one that does climbing, another one that does turning. So of course we think that's that's silly. It's more likely that the, low, the the sending commands just make minor changes to the to the one and only local control system that all there's movement between like running, climbing, and turning. Um, so anyway, that's something that uh, that's research that uh, Roy Ritzman and, and and Mark Willis also here at Case Western and myself are are, are working on now which we find just is just fascinating.
0: In all areas of robotics, where do you see the biggest potential? Where do you think the biggest advances will be made?
1: Yeah, it's really hard to look down the road. Um, sometimes when you're in the field, it's even harder to, to get it right. Um, if, if I look back 20 years, that's, that's always fun to do. You look back 20 years and then try to look forward. If I look back 20 years, I say 1987. Could I possibly see, imagine seeing an infomercial for a robot that cleans the floor, the kitchen floor, uh, that any consumer can buy? I saw one of those recently, and from iRobot. And and you know, it's one thing to have the product out; it's another thing to see an infomercial. Somehow, it just struck me. Uh, so yeah, 1987. Very few people could imagine that happening. Um, so in 20 years from now that That tells you that uh who knows maybe we'll be buying um when we go into the showroom we'll be, have the option of not just buying a car that can park itself like the lexus you know doing the uh parallel parking uh, and has there's now smart um there's smart uh, um, uh cruise controls that uh follow vehicles well maybe in twenty years um we'll be buying cars that uh Can completely drive themselves on the highway. Um, I can imagine that possibly happening. So transportation may actually be very different than the way it is right now um, in 20 years. And what's driving this in this country, anyway, is uh, the military. They um, they want well, Congress wants the military to have a third of its ground vehicles be completely autonomous by 2015. And that's what's driving this urban challenge, uh, so if that actually happens, then there's no reason to believe heck that's that's less than 10 years away. So in 20 years, um, that technology will probably trickle down to um, lots of different uh, transport probably our cars. Um, so um, other things that I can imagine happening, um, heck, y- y- you can look at uh, you look at Mars uh, exploration. Um, these these the Mars exploration rovers, they're still running around up there. Last I knew, they were supposed to last uh, like 90 days or something, and they've been going for years. And that should tell us more than anything else that uh, when it comes to space exploration, we really should send ro- robots. Um, send people. Very dangerous. Extremely expensive. Uh, be, trying to eliminate the dangers makes it extremely expensive, and they, um, well, NASA estimates like it costs like 5% to send a robot compared to the cost of sending a person. Um, So, as we make, as we get better locomotion, better autonomy, there's no reason why we shouldn't be sending uh, rovers to all interesting places that we can think of throughout um, our uh, solar system, anyway. And, we could learn a lot more for a lot less expense and, and uh, no danger to human beings. Um, and certainly um, search and rescue. Um, anytime there's a tragedy in the world, whether it's a tidal wave or an earthquake or a terrorist attack, um, there's a search and rescue operation or the, the hurricane situation. Um, when you have anyway, if, if you actually had vehicles that could fly or swim, and actually, go look for people and tell the workers, you know, the search and rescue workers, where are the where the the living people are, and they do it quickly. Um, anyway, talking to the search and rescue people from uh, Hurricane Katrina, um, they were extremely excited about the idea of having something, so they don't have to uh, climb the top of a roof, chop a hole in the roof, stick their head in. And, and yell to see if there's anybody in there or not, or actually go in and look around. And there were so many houses they had to go to; it would have made so much more. They could have been much more effective had they uh, had a way of doing that you know, autonomously. And basically, um, if these vehicles aren't so expensive, they could do like, the whole city uh, very rapidly.
0: Okay. Thanks, Roger, for being here with us on Talking Robots.
1: It was my pleasure.
0: This concludes this episode with Roger Quinn from Case Western Reserve University. You can have a look at our website to find some more related links and more information. I'm Sabine Howard. Thanks for listening. Talking Robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch